came back to that because somebody needs to hear that this morning. In those lonely moments, God's not left you. You can depend on His Word. It was March 2011 when Albert and Rita Creighton got in their Chevy Astro van in British Columbia to drive to Las Vegas, Nevada for a convention. As they were traveling along, they decided to compare their planned route to Vegas with the suggested route of the GPS that they had in their car. The GPS indicated there's a shortcut. What the GPS did not take into account was the season of the year and the type of road that it was. They ended up taking a turn and going on to a mountain road that soon turned into mud and slush as the snow was melting. And they got their Astro van stuck and they tried and tried to dig it out and to get out of being stuck, but all of their efforts were in vain. So Rita and Albert made the decision, we need to walk and find help. They walked about three miles when her knee swollen to the point she, we can't go on, and they turned around and went back to the van. The decision was made that Albert would go on by himself to find help and come back to get her. He took off, GPS in hand, not knowing he was really going in the wrong direction. For the next two months, Rita survived in the Astro van by rationing her food, reading her Bible, and eating snow. On day 49, she accepted the fact that her fate was to die here in this van. Ironically, it was on that day that somebody found her and rescued her. As for Albert, she never saw him again. It was a year and a half later when his body was found. He had walked seven more miles, risen to about 2,400 feet above sea level, and the snow had become so deep that he lost track of the road and the GPS to him became useless. Climbing a mountain unknowingly where he succumbed to the elements. A tragic ending to what appeared to be a shortcut that would have saved him a few miles. A shortcut that had tragic consequences. History is filled with stories of shortcuts that ended tragically. Today, in our ongoing study of the book of Genesis and the life of the man named Abram, we're going to read about one of those tragedies. But let's establish the point of the message right at the beginning. There are no shortcuts on the road of faith. On our journey of faith, there are no shortcuts. Last Sunday morning, we talked about one of the most profound faith experiences a man could have. 
God cut a blood covenant with Abram. Everything that he had promised him when he called him, <coughs> excuse me, 10 years earlier, to leave Ur of the Chaldees and follow me to a land that I will give you. I will make you a father of a great nation and I will give you real estate for this nation to live upon. And as he reiterates the promise, Abram, it's your child. It's not Eliezer who's going to be your heir. And he says, how, what, how will I know that? And God sealed that covenant by this process of taking five animals. Abram, I want you to split them in half and lay them on either side of a path. It was a common way for people in those days to make a covenant. And they would pass through those things, and as they passed through, making promises to each other, and if I break my promise, may I be as one of these severed animals. Only God put Abram to sleep and allowed him in a vision to see the presence of God walking between those animal carcasses as if God was saying, May I be as one of these if I do not keep my covenant with you to make you a father of a great nation and to give you this land. Now, in my mind, it would seem that whatever doubts had crept into Abraham's mind about the promises ever come to pass would have been eradicated for the rest of his life, that he would have never doubted again that he would have rested secure. God said it. I believe it. That settles it for me. His default mode would be, God's going to do it. But chapter 16 gives a whole different story. On the heels of one of his greatest spiritual experiences comes a tragic lack of faith that led to anger and hurt and jealousy and rejection and vicious cruelty within the tent that he lived in. To this very day, the world suffers the consequences of choices that were made in Genesis chapter 16 when they took a detour on the faith journey. This morning I want to read the whole chapter. We're not going to be able to unwrap it all. You didn't expect me to, did you? But I want to read it all for context. So follow along. Verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Yeah. And he went into Hagar... And she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, 
May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant, I gave my servant to you embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kings. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. We could make a soap opera from chapter 16. We have talked a great deal about Abram, but we've not talked a great deal about Sarai so far. We've mentioned her a couple of times. But to this point in time, she's been a rather remarkable wife. She left her homeland, she left her kin, her family, to go with her husband when he said, God said, we're going to go to another place and he's going to make us a great nation and he's going to give us land. When his faith was weak, she agreed with him, we will tell people we're brother and sister instead of husband and wife, so nobody kills him uh, to make her a widow that's eligible for marriage. She went along, she complied. But now it has been 10 years on their journey. She has been looking for and longing for the promise to come to fruition that he's going to be the father of a multitude of children. And she's not able to bear children. In that era of time, that would have been deemed a tragedy maybe even a curse of God upon her. That's the way she felt. She's 75 years old and still not a mother. As we read the text, it would seem to me that she has come to the conclusion that biology says my time has passed by. God had promised with a surety, you will sire a child. But the Lord had never said to her that we can see you're going to be the mother. We've not yet come to the part of the story in chapter 17 when he changes her name to let her know that she's going to be a mother. At this point, 10 years, 
no child. Sarah, or Sarai, began to second-guess God. She began to second-guess God. Abram had a promise, but it hadn't come to pass. It doesn't look like it's going to come to pass. She concluded, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So, Sarai began to reason and scheme to help make the promise come to pass. She began to reason and scheme. She looked up on GPS and found a shortcut. There's a whole, you know, there's a lot to be said about common sense. There's a great shortage of it in our day. But when it comes to the faith journey, be careful about defaulting to reason and common sense. A lot of times, God called people to do things that did not seem reasonable, but they were God's plan. God wants us to trust Him. I remind you of Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right, it seems reasonable to man, but the end is the way to death. Point number one is this. The journey of faith requires waiting for God. Show of hands, how many enjoy waiting? Some of you raised your hand because I raised mine. And then you thought about it. Do I really enjoy waiting? On Friday night, we went to dinner at a place my wife had chosen for the evening. When we walked in and reception desk and had to wait two or three minutes for the guy to come to the desk to get a table, and he said it'll be 30 minutes. Would you like to wait? And the answer was, no. We're going to go find somewhere else. So we drove five minutes to another restaurant, walked in, sit where you want. We sat down, and in a matter of five minutes, I was eating chips and salsa. The hunger pangs were being because we didn't want to wait. You go to the doctor's office for a scheduled appointment. Do you enjoy the wait? I'm always afraid because of my deafness, I'm not going to hear them call my name. You go to the DMV, take a number. You drive through Longview. Have you ever timed how much time you spent waiting at stoplights in the city of Longview? How many enjoy that? They have been waiting 10 years. Frustration has set in because nothing is happening. The writer of Hebrews was writing to Jewish folks who become followers of Jesus Christ. And the culture around them had begun to become hostile. There was persecution from the Jews who said, you, you need to come back to the Jewish belief instead of following this craziness of Jesus because the Roman Empire was doing everything they can 
to persecute Christians. Give up your faith in Jesus. And, and the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 6, 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience inherit the promises. I wanted you to see those two words, faith and patience. Have you ever prayed for patience? You know how patience comes, don't you? The Bible tells us patience is the result of tribulation. I'll never forget the preacher standing here in this church said one day he prayed as he knelt before his bed and got in bed, Lord, give me patience. And as his head hit the pillow, he remembered the scripture. He got back out, he says. And I don't know if he's just telling the story, but he got back out and said, Lord, forget that. I'll take care of it myself because he didn't want the tribulation. In the 28th chapter of Isaiah, the Lord speaks against the rulers of Jerusalem who are trying to protect their city by scheming and making hasty treaties, even with the enemy. God speaks through Isaiah to say, in chapter 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who's laid a as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Will not be in haste. Wait on the Lord, because God has a plan of salvation, and it will not fail. God's timing is perfect. I have to remind myself and you on an ongoing basis, God's timing is perfect. In His omniscience and eternal existence, He knows the absolute best time and best way to fulfill His words. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding, reasoning, and scheming. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Number two, the journey of faith requires acting on God's Word. Acting on God's Word. As we have read the story of Noah and now Abram, it is doing what God has said that brings the blessing of God and the fulfillment of His purposes. When we read the story of Noah, I pointed out about three times in that message, one of those messages, he did all that the Lord commanded him. The evidence that I am a man or a woman walking in faith is my obedience to the Word. My obedience to what God has said. In Hebrews chapter 11, that lists the heroes of faith from the Old Testament each one of them who was commended for their faith evidenced their faith in God by their obedience to what God told them to do. Faith comes by 
hearing and hearing the Word of God. Walking by faith will result in joy and peace in your life. Walking by faith will result in joy and peace. I did not say you would have a trouble-free life. Just the opposite is true. You will have tribulations. Jesus promised that. You will have tribulations. But in the midst of that tribulation, there will be a joy and there will be a peace. No matter what life brings, I'll be able to sing with Spafford, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Romans 15, 13. Paul prayed this for the Romans and for you and me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and peace, how? As you trust in Him, so you'll overflow with hope. Sarah, in our lesson text today, has heard another voice that has taken away her hope. I want to return to the statement I began earlier. In a moment of doubt, Sarah begins scheming. Sarai begins scheming. I don't know if the saying goes back as far as Abram and Sarai, but it goes back far enough that a lot of people believe it's in the Bible. Have you ever heard the quote, God helps those who help themselves? Have you ever heard somebody say the Bible says God helps those who help themselves? I challenge you to find it in the Bible. And while there's a certain amount of truth to we do what God says and God helps us, there's no place that God helps those who help themselves. While it's true that faith without works is dead, Biblical faith is always based on doing what God says. So let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Sarah's scheme was devised by the culture. Her plan was not one that she made up on her own. This was something that had taken place in the culture. Now, Sarah, it would appear that she had acquired this servant girl when they went down into Egypt. And you remember when they tried to fool Pharaoh and God warned Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I want you to get out of here. And in fact, he gave him an escort. But Pharaoh, he gave him all kinds of blessing to make sure they didn't come back. And servants was one of them. Uh, most likely, Hagar was one of those gifts. According to the culture of the day, Hagar had become the property of Sarai. Sarai, considering her age, and perhaps the physical indicators, besides the fact that she had been barren now for 75 years, 
she seems to have been willing to sacrifice for Abram's sake to make Hagar his concubine in order to have a child. What she proposed appears to have been common from Babylon to Egypt for about a thousand years. Now, there's other historical writings that you can find, and one of those is a Newsy tablet number 67, which describes a marriage arrangement in ancient Mesopotamia. And these names are going to sound like I'm speaking in tongues, and it won't matter. If Gilimenu bears children, Shanima shall not take another wife. But if Gileminu fails to bear children, Gileminu shall get for Shananima a woman from Lulu country, in other words, a slave girl, as a concubine. In that case, Gileminu herself shall have authority over the offspring. Did you catch all that? If Vicky bears children, Bob shall not take another wife. But if Vicky fails to bear children, Bob, Vicky shall get for Bob a woman from Lulu country as a concubine. And in that case, Vicky becomes in charge and has authority over the baby that's born. I just want to make sure you understand the law. We'll read later on. The story of Jacob, you remember when he was duped and ended up with two wives, sisters, no less? And the competition that went on, one sister was fertile and the other one was barren. So the barren one says, well, take my servant girl and have children to inform me through. And, those, and that's the way it went. That was the culture. That was the norm. It was not God's plan. Remember when Jesus was challenged by the Sadducees in, in the New Testament about marriage. He quoted from the Scripture, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall travel on where they become one flesh. God's intention, one man, one woman. All through the Old Testament, it was one of Cain's sons, one of the evil ones who didn't believe in God, who started polygamy. And I don't think you can find a case of polygamy in the Old Testament where things turned out well. I don't think you can find a case of polygamy today that has worked out well. Sarah's intention may have some positive merit in that she was willing to sacrifice herself so the promise to Abraham can be fulfilled. There's a certain amount of anger that she has towards God, or resentment towards God. The Lord has prevented me from having children. Sarah's scheme was wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong against God, because it proves she did not trust God. She did not trust God. She felt like, I've got to do this in order for the promise to take place. It was wrong against Abram. She influenced him not to wait on God. 
she influenced him to take the shortcut that her GPS said will get us to the desired destination faster. It was a sin against Hagar. She was treated as an object to be used as a baby machine and nothing more. She did not look at her as a young woman who had her own dreams and her own life to live. She used her as an object. It was a sin, it was wrong against herself, Sarai, because it was an act of distrust and disobedience to God's plan for Abram and Sarai. that robbed her of the fullness of God's plan. Now, God's plan will come to pass, but there's consequences along the way. The journey of faith, number four, requires resisting, conforming to the culture. My walk of faith following Jesus requires resisting, conforming to the culture. The prince of darkness has unleashed the power of deception into our world today in such magnitude that all over the world there's pressure to declare what God has declared immoral and an abomination as normal and to be celebrated. According to what I read in the book, for those who buy into those lies, it's not going to end well. We as people of faith in Jesus are to live by the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Now there is an old cliche, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Paul wrote to the Christian Romans and said this, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. One paraphrase says, do not be squeezed into the world's mold. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May we as people of faith be more concerned about the glory of God than the approval of people. May we be people living from a biblical perspective rather than a worldview or the culture perspective. May we never be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May our testimony always be on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Abram's response is disturbing. Abram's response is disturbing. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He listened. It means more than he just heard what she said. He decided to do what she said. Abram had heard from God in a most powerful display of God's presence. Abram had heard God's commitment to his promise. 
Sarai had not experienced what Abram had. And, and when Abram has suggested to God that Eliezer, his servant, was to be his heir, God made it very clear, that is not the case. You will sire a son from your own flesh and blood. There is nowhere where God said, and the way I'm going to make it happen is I'm going to give you a young virgin who's very fertile, and that's how it's going to happen. She's going to take the place of your wife who's so old. I can't fulfill my promise. Abram listened to Sarah, and he did not say, whoa. We need to talk about this. We need to talk to God about this. We need to make sure, Sarai, that God is in, in agreement with you. Thank you, Sarah, for being willing to do this for me, but what does God say? I hadn't really noticed it before, but there's kind of a parallel in the way that Moses wrote the story about Abram and the story of Adam and Eve. And I just point them out real quickly. Abram listened to his wife. That's chapter 16, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 17, and Genesis said, And Adam listened to Eve. Sarai took Hagar, it says in chapter 16, verse 3. In chapter 3, verse 6, Eve took the fruit. Sarah gave Hagar to Abram. In chapter 16, verse 3. And in chapter 3, verse 6, Eve gave the fruit to Adam. In both cases, the men willingly and knowingly partook. In both cases, it appears to me that these men decided to live by feelings instead of what God had said to them. At that moment, it seems they both chose to do what was easiest in the moment. Adam chose to eat the forbidden fruit and join his wife in disobedience to God, and everything changed. Death and sin were brought into the world. Adam chose to take a second wife, and the world has never been the same. You want to follow the family tree of Ishmael, it will lead to Muhammad. It will lead to Islam. It will lead to the ongoing battle between Arabs and Jews that has never stopped and is escalating on this very day. It all started when Sarai said, let's help God. We can't wait any longer. Galatians 6 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, reap, or will from the flesh reap corruption. Our sins have consequences. Our sins have consequences. Oh, thank God the gospel tells me forgiveness can be had. But forgiveness does not necessarily negate the consequences of what we have planted in disobedience to the will of God.
In Abram's case, there was painful consequences that occurred in the weeks after Hagar became pregnant. We read in verse 3. So Abram, or after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now, they did not have the words of Solomon. Oh, if they would have. But Solomon wrote in Proverbs 30, or the writer of Proverbs 30. It might have been another author. But in verse 21, under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes a king, a fool when he's filled with food, and an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maiden servant when she displaces her mistress. Things are going to happen. There was a trembling of the earth in Abram's tent when Hagar began to flaunt her baby bump. Evidently, there were some haughty eyes, looks that were cast ours way. Remember, a barren woman in that culture was looked down upon. And in this case, the servant girl had accomplished what her mistress could not. The dynamic of two wives instead of a wife and a servant girl totally changed the atmosphere of the homestead. Sarai now literally blows up. Verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong or the violence done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's your fault, Abram. Look what you've done to me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. At first glance, it appears that Sarai has lost all sense of reason and logic. Who came up with the scheme to help God out? It was her. But now that Hagar is pregnant and proud of it, no longer living with a mindset, I'm a servant, not just wanting to be a baby machine for a couple who could not conceive. Somehow she becomes abusive. Sarah uses the word wrong in the Hebrew. It's violent. 39 times in the Bible it's, it's interpreted violent. She somehow has abused her, most likely verbally. Sarah says, Abram, it's your fault. I read a couple of commentators I don't know which one wrote it first and the other one copied. And I'm copying whoever copied it. But Kent Hughes in his writing suggests that Abram, what he should have done, he said, we need to build an altar. We need to bring a sacrifice. And as a family, we need to repent before the Lord for not waiting on God to fulfill His promise. He should have assured Sarah, you're still number one in my heart. 
He should have dealt kindly and firmly with Hagar in her attitude. But instead, he took the easy way out, the shortcut, the code of Hamaruba, Hamarabi, Law 146. The code of Hammurabi 146 in that day says, if a concubine claims equality with her mistress because she bore children, her mistress may demote her to her former position as a slave. And that's exactly what Sarai wanted. So Abram abdicated responsibility and said, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Notice earlier Sarai said, I give you Hagar to be your wife. But he doesn't even call Hagar by her name, let alone wife. He said, your servant, do as you please. Give way to your vengeance. And she did. She dealt so harshly with Hagar that she decided, Hagar decided to run away. And we'll deal with that next week. This all began when people of faith began to distrust God's word. When they decided not to wait for God to fulfill his word, they set in motion a wave that brought nothing but strife and pain for all parties involved. And that pain continues as the offspring born to Ishmael believe their purpose on earth is to eradicate the infidels known as Jews and Christians. Application point, if you get nothing else, trust God and wait for Him. Trust God and wait for Him. I want to end on a positive note. So I want to read to you several exhortations where the Scripture tells us to trust God. And what I want to encourage you to do is, along with the devotions that you do this week, Take a few moments to look at these verses. And if you have a study Bible or Bible with cross-references, chase down the cross-references. Meditate on these things. Psalms 37.3 said, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust God and be faithful. Verse 5 of that same chapter, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Trust in Him, and He will act. Proverbs 3, 5, we read it earlier, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean to your own understanding, scheming, and reasoning. Yes, that's my paraphrase. Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Isaiah 50.10 Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. I want to read some promises to those who trust in the Lord. Psalms 31.19 Oh, how abundant is your goodness. 
which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. How abundant is your goodness for those who take refuge, those who trust in you. Psalms 32.10 Many are the arrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Psalms 125.1 says this, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Proverbs 29.25, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Matthew 28.20 Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus saying, And behold, I'm with you always, to the end of the age. If my dad had one favorite scripture that he preached on more than any other, it's the next one. And he would get to it no matter what he was preaching about. Because he lived this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those called according to His purpose. God's going to make something good out of this. Even when I can't see it, He's working. He's the way maker. He's the way maker. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher. Romans 8, the chapter ends with, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Trust God and wait. One of the reasons the story of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar is in the Bible. We all have a propensity to look for shortcuts. We don't want to wait. We want what we want, and we want it. We want it now. Trust God. Believe that God is strong enough. Believe that God is faithful. Richard Hendricks said this, Second only to suffering. Waiting 
may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. Waiting. Now, faith is not always about waiting. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it. But when God makes a promise, says, I'm going to do it, we need to wait for God to do it. So here's how we're going to end our time today. We're going to sing a simple chorus by Don Moen and somebody else way back in the 1980s, I think. Because for the past 24 hours, the simple phrase of this chorus have been going through my mind. For those waiting for promises today to come to pass, instead of listening to the voices that would give to you a scheme for a solution, we're going to surrender to the waiting process. We're going to comply with the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And what's the next line? Your will be done. So would you stand with us and make this your